because the church is only going to be as effective as the leadership, as well as they lead. And, and we see so often, if you have dysfunctional leadership teams, the church is going to suffer. The bride of Christ suffers. So I think it's worth time, I think, for our lead pastors and our elders and our governing boards, whatever that looks like, to step away and go, okay, let's just reassess who we are, how are we doing, are we healthy, and, and how do we lead the church in a way that honors God by us honoring him in our lives and our leadership styles. Welcome, my friend. This is the weekend edition of the Coaching for Pastors podcast. Hey, my friends, this weekend edition of the Coaching for Pastors podcast, we have Rob Story. Rob has been my boss for the last six years. He is the district superintendent of the Mid-America District of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Rob is a former Air Force helicopter pilot, 20 years in the military, retired, and then prepared for ministry, and spent uh, the last 22 years or so in pastoral ministry. He pastored for 15 years in Grand Junction, Colorado, growing his church from around 100, 150 up to over 400. And I sat down with him today to ask him questions about local church ministry, about his experience leading pastors now as a district superintendent over the last six years, and what his perspective is, how it's different on ministry now than it was six years ago, uh, what he's learned, and what he's looking forward to. So he is going to help you today, Pastor. It'd be great if you had an opportunity to jot down some mental notes or maybe even take notes on a real piece of paper because he's going to give you some actionable steps to take as a leader in your local church with your lay leaders. So here's my conversation with Rob Story. Rob Story, welcome to the Coaching for Pastors podcast. It's good to be live and in person in your office with you. Thank you, Jeff. It's good to have you in my office again. Yeah, I have wanted to record with you, Rob, for the six years that you have been district superintendent here in Omaha. And now at the at the 11th hour, you're getting ready to finish your, your ministry here and go into what I'm going to call semi-retirement because there's going to be things you'll want to do. Now we're getting that opportunity. So are you ready to drop your pearls and gems of wisdom? <laughs> yeah, all of them that I've got. I've got two months left here, so trying to finish well, but I'm not sure how many pearls of wisdom I have, but you can ask away. Well, see, when you're in this office, whether you like like it or not, you get those pearls of wisdom. So because it's coaching for pastors, I, I want us to talk about some things for a little bit that would help pastors. And we were talking today about how us pastors need to be self-aware, where sometimes we're not all that self-aware, where sometimes we might have blind spots, which by definition <laughs> we don't see, and they they come to, to bite us and not only hurt us, but hurt our church. So the questions I'm going to ask you, I want it to help pastors because sure. ultimately, pastors, it's not about us. It's not about us. Ultimately, it's about our people and about the ministry that God's called us to. So if you were to say that there were like maybe the top two or three struggles that you've had to deal personally with pastors on, and this is where you maybe got you maybe got a phone call and a pastor kind of unloaded on you something or you visited and in a moment of reflection and transparency 
a pastor opened up about something that they were struggling with. And especially in light of the past two years where all we hear on podcasts now is, oh, pastors want to retire, they want to resign, they want to leave ministry, blah, blah, blah. In light of all that, I feel like we want to encourage pastors. So what are some things that you have have found pastors to be struggling with, some common themes? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I would say one right off the top of my head, Jeff, would be how isolated some of our pastors feel. They don't have a support group around them. Quite often, our pastors are in smaller communities, uh, pastoring, and I'm putting this air quote, small churches, not insignificant, but smaller congregations. And there may not be another church in the community that they feel like they can communicate with or talk with. And so I think that isolation is an issue that many of our churches, our our pastors struggle with. Who can they share with? We talked about blind spots. Who's there in relationship with them that might be able to identify a blind spot that they may be having? Or if they're struggling in their marriage or with family, who do they have that they can be real with and share with. Quite often, they're not willing to do that with elders, and quite often, that's not the appropriate place to go. So I think for us, uh, constantly trying to help our pastors engage with other peers that can walk with them uh, through the journey of, of pastoring. So I think isolation is one. I think the other area is uh, the teamwork that's required to lead a church. And quite often, at least in many of our churches, We hire the pastor, and we expect him to do all the work. And as we know, the body of Christ isn't built that way, not made that way. So we have many of our churches where the elders are disengaged or not as involved, perhaps, as they need to be walking the pastor, uh, co-laboring with the pastor in leading the church. I'd say those are two areas that have been highlighted in a variety of ways over the last couple of years of sitting in this chair. Okay, so you talked about isolation, how pastors don't have peers to talk to. But then you mentioned if they've got issues or struggles, they don't have anybody to go to. And you said you try to connect them with peers. How have you been how how have you been successful at that? And when when has that gone well and and when what has the scenario been where you feel like it just it continues and it just wasn't successful? Well, I think a lot of that depends on the pastor himself. It's difficult when a pastor is struggling for them to reach out, but it's got to happen. I mean, we've got to come to the end of ourselves and recognize that we need fellowship. We need someone that can walk with us uh, during this difficult time. When I've seen it work well, we have in our district about 64 churches, and um, we've got a couple of our, uh, call them cluster groups, if you will, these cohorts that work well. And I'll be honest with you, the reason they work well is because there is one pastor who has taken the lead and always takes the initiative to meet, and they usually meet monthly. Uh, But there's one pastor in that group that regardless if there's going to be eight pastors there or two pastors there, uh, he'll lead that. And they'll meet, they'll usually fellowship around a uh, lunch or coffee, share prayer requests, 
And after, it takes a while, but after a year or two, there's some real conversations happening that uh, I think are really helpful for our pastors. Keeps them uh, from being isolated, keeps them having the kind of conversations they need to, especially around ministry frustrations, uh, marriage and family. Uh, they can call me uh, as a superintendent, but it's uh, it's tough for me. We've got about 220 workers in our district, and uh, I can certainly pray with them. I can We can find them some counseling help if required, help them get on a sabbatical, get some time away. But as far as that peer group that's needed, um, that's going to be something that they're going to have to take the initiative. And sometimes that's really, really hard for us as pastors to say, hey, I need some help. I need someone to walk with me in these days. So it's interesting you're saying this because over the last several weeks, I've returned to this theme on on the daily episodes about, I, I would call it phone a friend, right? Phone a friend, find somebody. And I feel like there have been so many episodes when we I've gotten in. They're just eight-minute episodes during the week, but I've gotten to uh, the, toward the end of that eight minutes. And okay, now what's the resolution, or what maybe is a suggestion or a solution? And I feel like I'm always saying you've got to get into proximity with somebody else. And you're <laughs> just saying it all over again. You're just saying it again that that you've got to reach out. And you said. You, you said right at the beginning of your, your reply earlier, you, you, you have to. It's tough, it's difficult, but you have to do it. Why do they have to do it? Just It may be self-evident, but just say it out loud again. Yeah, for me in, in my chair, if they don't do it, I've got um, a pastor calling me on Monday saying, I'm done, and I have, I'm, I'm at the end, and... That's really uh, difficult for me to hear, uh, coming from a pastor who's been who's been effective, who's loved by the church, but uh, because they've not taken that initiative to reach out, um, they're at the end of the rope. And so that's that's really hard for me to hear as a as a super. And usually we can talk them off the cliff and bring them back and get them into some health. But it's it's hard for me to see men that love Jesus, that have been called into ministry and have answered that call to be so hurt and so frustrated. And uh, honestly, oftentimes I step into a church and sit with the pastor and I recognize there's no joy here because they they are hurting. And um, so I think there's some indicators of that, but I think that, um, boy, we, we, we need, as you said, proximity. That COVID is, there's been some wonderful outcomes from COVID. I use Zoom more than I ever have. I connect with a lot of people, uh, video conferencing, but I have to be in proximity with the pastors. And um, so important. Sitting across from somebody can tell a lot more than sitting on a screen. Yeah, yeah. And you also talked about the the monthly groups. But you said (laughs) it may take a year or two before they really start to open up. Now, isn't it a little ironic, right? We're pastors, right? We we sometimes talk about our people, you know, in, in less than, you know, favorable ways, as though they should, you know, be beyond that. They should be better than this or that. When in reality, you get pastors together, and it still takes a year or two before they're willing to, or maybe not, maybe willing is the wrong word, before they're able really ready 
prepared to open up with one another and to share and to talk with one another. Mm-hmm. I was in a group. Uh, I was in a group with Kent uh, from '04 all the way till until the time he came here to Omaha to the district office. It was about ten years, and we probably met three to four times a year for ten years, about every three months. And at first, I felt like, ah, this is kind of crazy. We're driving two hours for a 90-minute lunch, and then we're driving two hours back. And I didn't value it at the beginning. But and now this wasn't monthly. This was, like I said, just a few times a year. But I, I would imagine it was in the second year. It was probably about the fourth or fifth meeting when I really began to see the value in it, when we actually started talking about important things and serious things um, and began to build relationships so that we knew each other and we didn't feel like we were, I mean, I was pretty isolated where I was in Orange City. There wasn't another Alliance Church within a couple hour drive from me. Um, So that really worked. That really worked with me. The other issue you said was um, members that Members or elders that are just not, it's a smaller church maybe, and they're just not engaged. Uh, where have you seen any success at all in helping a pastor engage his people more in ministry? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's a number of tools out there that can be used, Jeff. Um, for me, uh, as I sit with pastors and their leadership team, best tool that I have in my bag is sitting with them and, and walking through what are their core values. So it's just not, I remember sitting with uh, a team and uh, I'd ask them to, we were doing a weekend seminar and it was a Saturday morning kicking it off. And I said, well, do you have core values? And the lead pastor said, well, of course we have core values. I said, well, do you have a copy of them? And he said, yes, here they are. And I grabbed them and I, and I showed them to the elders I said, elders, have you seen these? I they said, no, we've never seen these core values before. Oh, I said, boy. so whose values are they? And the pastor said, well, I did those last year. And uh, so the the pastor had done the core values, but they had never been shared. So for me, uh, Jeff, one of the key areas of engaging teamwork is, are, are we sh- do we have shared core values? And are we as a team casting a vision for our local body of Christ rather than uh, allowing the pastor, having the pastor take that on as his initiative. You want your elders to work with you and co-labor with you, then they need to share the values and vision that the church has. So for me, one of the best ways to engage our leadership is to include them in creating what do we value and how we're going to live those values out and how do those values build into the vision of the church so that it's just not Pastor Joe's vision, it's the elder board or the leadership team's vision for leading the church. So I think that's really, really key. I think the other thing that comes to my mind, I'm not sure this really fits. I've seen great value when elders and their wives or a leadership team and the spouses get together and engage with one another. You know, God God gave me my wife and she looks at things very differently than I do. And I always valued it when I was a pastor, having our leadership team get together, husbands, the the, the elders and the brides would come together, and we really valued their input. Um, you know, in the Christian Missionary Alliance, the elders are, are men, but as we can bring our brides into some of our conversations, it just changes things dramatically, and I think that helps 
uh, engage others in the church to get different perspectives rather than just having it as the pastor or as the elder team, but also bringing in different perspectives as you as you lead the church. It can become very pastor-centered, as we all know, and that's never healthy. At a minimum, we do every Christmas, every December elder meeting, we'll bring the wives into the meeting. And I'll, I'll always make the comment, some, sometimes not so much joking, but it's, you know, we're in the denomination we're in, living by the rules that we have. Uh, I say, boy, I, don't you think the wives should be at every elder meeting? And uh, I think they all look around and they know I'm being naughty when I say it, right? But they, but they also know that there's a little bit of truth to that. Oh, sure. Because there is a, there is that different perspective that's really helpful. Um, when you were at, at you were at a church in Grand Junction for 15 years. When you were there, did you ever experience any of that isolation that you talked about earlier? No, I did not. <clears throat> when I when I got to Grand Junction, I came out of a. Uh, multi-staff church in Cheyenne, Wyoming. We went to Grand Junction, a small church, solo pastor. But I recognized, uh, as you know, I was in the Air Force for 20 years. And I was always on a team. I never, uh, I flew helicopters. Every mission we flew was with a team. I knew I needed a team. I'm not good at doing this by myself. When I got to Grand Junction, I quickly found a ministerial alliance there was about 10 of us, other uh, evangelical churches. And I, we always joked, uh, I fellowshiped with these men for all 15 years I was there, and we would get, to get, get together with them and their wives for barbecues and those kind of things. But we met monthly for prayer, to encourage one another, and then we would do joint ministry together. But uh, I always joke, most of their churches I wouldn't necessarily go to. Mm-hmm. But I loved the men. We had such a variety of backgrounds and denominational uh, attachments. It was a phenomenal group of men and women in this group. So, no, I've never felt that isolation because I knew I would shrivel up and die. I'm not good as a solo guy. And so even as a, as a solo pastor, I found fellowship quickly. But it, again, I'm not patting myself on the back, but I knew I needed it. So I took that initiative to find it. Did you ever lead that group? I did. After about two years, I was uh, the president, if you will, of, of that group for, for several years. And, and that was a good fit for me, uh, recognizing, looking around. Most of us were, at least initially, solo pastors. And, um, but we just continued for the 15 years there, and they're still good friends. When I'm, We're heading back there in two months when I'm done with this ministry, and getting back involved in the local church, and they'll be some of my first people I'll connect with when I get back home. You're fellowshipping and friendshipping with pastors from backgrounds and denominations you would not attend. Absolutely, yeah. We had, we had. And that's uh, allowed. Oh, and it's beneficial. I, I hope so. <laughs> I think it's a picture of the of the eternal kingdom, right? Around the throne. Is, I think there'll be languages and tongues and nations, but I also think you're going to look around and go, oh, that denomination's here, and that denomination's here. And uh, so it, but it stretched me. Uh, I would sit with these men. Um, many of them uh, came from more of a Pentecostal background than I would have. Some of them came from some of the mainline churches. Uh, and I just love their perspective. And it, it stretched my wife and I to hang out with these folks, to laugh with them, to pray with them, um, and to fellowship with them. It was good. How did your church do during your 15 years there? 
How did that ministry go for you? In what way? Well, you said when you got there, it was a small church, solo pastor. Mm -hmm. Did it remain that for the 15 years you were there? No. Uh, Grand Junction, Colorado is an interesting place, uh, very fluid. I always joke, very few people are from Grand Junction. Right, right. Most people have moved in. And so we created a, um, I think we created a church environment that was very inviting. Uh, we focused on the Word of God. Um, we had all the Sunday morning things there, but we really had a welcoming environment. So we grew uh, steadily. We had about 10 to 15% steady growth over the first 10 years. And so we grew to be about a uh, congregation about 400 or 450, multi-staff at that point. And, but it was a very slow, steady growth period. And so it was um, by God's blessing. And we had great elders. I'll be honest with you, Jeff. Uh, I had about seven men that co-labored with me. And it took a while to find the right elder board. And again, they rotated on and off. But after three or four years of being there, I found I was just surrounded by men and their wives that had a common vision, and we chased after it. And we were just steady, just a steady, slow growth. But it was, it was fun and exciting. And uh, amongst all the trials we have as pastors, there's great joy. And how did you get newer people? Did you have a process or a plan to get them involved in ministry? Because, I mean, once you grow past two, 300, then you really have to have some systems in place and you need to have volunteers if you're going to have any kind of programs at all. How did you get new people connected into ministry? One of the biggest areas were our small groups. Uh, you know, you can have a church with small groups or you can be a church of small groups. We <clears throat> would like to call ourselves a church of small groups. Now, not everybody was in a small group or community group or journey group, but we found that was the best connecting point. Uh, we had people that would not necessarily come in the front doors of River of Life Church, but they would come to my home or come to a leader's home. And so we found that was the best place to connect people. Our leaders would try to determine where would they fit into ministry, what were their gifts and passions, and how we might use them in the church. Or we had a lot of our people that were involved in community uh, volunteering as well. So we used community groups as that entry point. We didn't do a lot of, at least when I was there, a lot of big events at the church um, in helping people find their place. That was mostly done through community groups. Our elders, they also had a gift of hospitality, they and their wives and they were excellent at connecting with new people, having them in their homes, hearing their stories, and finding out, hey, how can we connect you to the bigger River of Life um, family? Where did you get most of your growth? Was it new move-ins that were looking for a church? Were they uh, church uh, transfers, or were they like new believers? I would say the majority were people coming into Grand Junction from outside the city looking for a place to plug in. Uh, it's it's been different. I I've been in the Midwest for six years, and I I love it here. This is a great community, but it's interesting that here everybody is sort of connected by family. A lot of family connections in River of at, in Grand Junction, you move there and you're looking for family. So people move into the community looking. How can I get plugged in? So we had a lot of people come that were transferring in from outside the community had been involved in a church somewhere else, and were looking for a good, solid church to belong to. 
I think we also had a lot of people that were looking for community, not believers, but they'd find community with us, and they would come and begin fellowshipping with us and then come to Christ. So I would say the majority of our growth was from from people outside. And again, we were a town of 50,000 people, and and you know, uh, I always joked with my friend down the road, a vineyard pastor, uh, he'd say, well, did so-and-so show up at your church? I'd go, yeah, yeah, they sure did. And I'd say, well, did so-and-so show up at your church? Yeah, he had a, their church was about 4,000. So when we would get too intimate for somebody and they wanted to be uh, hide, they'd go out to Kirk's church. And at Kirk, and when, when they felt like this is too big, they wanted something a little small, they'd come down to my church. Or when Kirk had preached something they didn't like, all of a sudden we'd get two or three families. And same thing here. That's the other thing about that fellowship. We could sort of track with where the families were going. So all that to say, uh, very little transfer growth within the city. Most of it was from outside. As you've worked with churches that are larger, that have staff, what are the intransigent issues when you've got a multi-staff church that seem to pop up on your radar? I would say, is the lead pastor investing in his staff? Is that his priority? Uh, has he made it a priority? Is that who he is discipling? Is that sort of the way he's wired? Or is he continuing to be more involved in the congregation? I don't know if I said that right, but I hey, see when we have multi-staff, is the lead pastor, does he see his role as discipling uh, the associate staff, the directors, the people that he has hired or the elders have hired to work with him, rather than continuing his role as a lead pastor and letting them sort of fend for themselves, if you will. I think that I love it when we have an associate pastor and the lead pastor is is preparing that person to be a lead pastor someday. We need lead pastors that have got experience in the church and have been under the um, mentoring of someone that knows what it means to be a lead pastor, the, the the positive pros and cons of what that looks like. So all that to say, I think I've seen issues when the, the staff does not feel like they're being mentored. Or the other thing is when they don't know what the expectations are. Hmm. No one has laid out, this is what I'm expecting of you. I oftentimes step into churches and there's no ministry description for that particular placement. So he's he or she is not sure what and the expectations are from the elders or from the lead pastor. I think that's a real key of making sure people know this is what we're expecting. And are you being evaluated on that? Is there a, is there at some point some sort of an evaluation during the year on all the staff of what the expectations are? Are we meeting them? And how can we, what are the next steps for growing? Okay. Hang on a second while I write all this stuff down. (laughs) I'm feeling a little bit, uh, I'm feeling a little bit attacked here, Rob, by uh, your comments. (laughs) I don't mean to attack. It's, <laughs> no, it's, I'm, it's, kidding. It's, I'm kidding. Yeah, it's just, this is, those are good points. Those it's just are hard. Really good points. Because I, I feel like I, I had a couple staff guys working for me when I left the church and came here for this ministry. And I had to go back and apologize to them later, saying that I was not good at laying out. Ex- I had expectations, yeah, but I wasn't very good at communicating it to them. Hmm. And I expected them to meet my expectations. They didn't know what they were. And so why, there why was, do you think so? Why do you think you weren't that good at communicating it? I just expected them to pick it up. 
I expected them, I've, I've made these nuanced statements, or I may have, have insinuated something, and you didn't get it? And the answer would be no. I, I'm not sure. Um, we didn't do a lot with personality types. You know, we do now this a strength deployment inventory, the SDI, in, in, at least in our district family, which has been key, so good for our leadership teams to sit and go through that assessment together and say, oh, that's why you do what you do when I say this, or that's why you don't pick up on my nuances. That's been really good for so me. it's called SDI, Strength Deployment, Deployment Inventory. Inventory. It's part of the Strength Finder or um, Core Strengths is what it's called. And so, but there may be other assessments out there, but I think um, for a leadership team to go through some sort of an assessment is really good to help us understand what makes us tick. And you had not done that at your last church. That's correct. Okay. And then you came here and got kind of got introduced to that in the process of, of doing this, fulfilling this role. And you felt like you wish you could have gone backwards and maybe have implemented that on a team. I, I, I do. And we do that now, uh, Jeff, with uh, leadership teams, stepping in, having them take the assessment, sitting with them and coaching them through, okay, what does this really mean? I was with, uh, yeah, I, it, it's just it, it's just good. Uh, with a team not too long ago where the pastor was assessed one area and all the, all the elders were opposite. Uh, he was in this case red, a very, uh, uh, very type A go getter, visionary, and the other guys were more analytical. They wanted to, so that was a, yeah. and, and so it's like, okay, well, how does that play out? And how do how do you lead well in the midst of that? You've got good men as elders, but how do you how do you lead those men well, knowing the difference? And the truth is, pastors will bang their heads bloody against the wall, and elders will run in circles and and get rid of pastors one after another without ever thinking about this stuff. It's ha- how many churches has this happened in? But they've never had the self-awareness or like the information shared with them that, hey, there's a reason why your pastor's driving you crazy. Or pastor, there's a reason why these four elders or deacons or church leaders are driving you crazy. They just think that they're bad elders or deacons. Or or the, or the board just thinks, oh, this is just a bad pastor. When it's not that at all, it's it's the wiring, but they're not aware of it. Yeah, and I think that's why it's really important at times to step away from the hectic ministry schedules. Step away from, uh, because we can get caught up in doing wonderful, good things uh, in the name of Jesus for our community, for our churches, but we don't spend a lot of time just looking at the leadership team saying, what makes us tick? How do we lead well together as a group of men and women looking at what, what God's calling us to do as a church? So somehow to step away from that, whether that's a retreat, uh, uh, bringing a coach in to help coach you through some of these, it's so important to do that. We as lead pastors are really, we don't like to ask for help. Uh, we're the called ones, we're going to lead well, but we need to ask for help. We need to have someone else come in and say, let's take a look at, especially in the area of leadership team, because the church is only going to be as effective as the leadership 
as well as they lead. And, and we see so often, if you have dysfunctional leadership teams, the church is going to suffer. The bride of Christ suffers. So I think it's worth time, I think, for our lead pastors and our elders and our governing boards, whatever that looks like, to step away and go, okay, let's just reassess who we are, how are we doing, are we healthy, and, and how do we lead the church in a way that honors God by us honoring him in our lives and our leadership styles. So healthy leadership teams. Yeah, so important because what, churches know when the leadership isn't healthy. We, we think that they don't know, but but they do know. Um, in fact, everything we do as pastors, I think, is much more known than what we want to think it is. Our, our staff know when we're not doing well. Our people know when there's dissonance on the, or, or any kind of discord on the team. Um I think I think that is more evident than than what we care to admit. Uh, so you talked about working with SDI strength deployment inventory with a team, and that this was uh, this was helpful in determining direction and vision. It was also helpful for uh, the staff to understand how they fit together. Uh, I know that we had Kent come and do SDI with us. I knew it would be it would be helpful, but it was a lot more helpful than I thought it would be. And as the eight of us sat around this conference table, there were like light bulbs, you know, turning on. And it was fun to watch my staff looking at each other and shaking their heads, you know, yes or no. And, oh, that's, oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. And, uh, and, it, and it's hard when the pastor is different from the board in terms of wiring, personality, the way they approach ministry or work or conflict or communication, you name it. And it could be really frustrating because around that table, the pastor, he's responsible, and he or she, and, and, and they know that. And so they sense that, and it's uh, it can be, it can be a, a burden for them. It can be, and that's why I believe that a, a good leadership team shares that burden. And uh, a, a lead pastor does not need to carry that alone. Uh, but again, there's got to be some vulnerability. Uh, there's got to be an understanding. Again, Paul speaks all the time about the body of Christ and the and the way that we are gifted differently and how we all need one another. I think that's true for a leadership team. As we look across a leadership team, whether it's staff or lay leaders or elders or governing board, ministry team leaders, do we know the giftings and passions of one another? Do we know the personalities that that motivate us to do the things that we do? So I think it's really important uh, for us to recognize that uh, lead pastors can't do it all, and quite often we carry that burden. And so how do we how do we create an environment, a healthy environment? Uh, and like I said, Paul recognized it when he went back and put elders in the churches. He recognized that the one person could not do it alone. And so I, I think that's just really important for us as uh, I'm glad I, I, I'm i in a uh, denomination where they say it will be an elder-led church. And so I'm I'm grateful for that. I can't imagine being in a denomination where you have the pastor and without, a, without an organized structure to support the pastor. So I've heard you talk a lot about that ever since uh, you came here to Omaha. And I would have thought, so you were in the Air Force for 20 years, retired out of the Air Force. Oh, man, we got this military guy coming, command and control. This guy is going to be the commandant. He's going to be in charge, and what he says is going to go. 
But you come, you came out of the Air Force. You you prepped through some years of school, and then uh, you were on staff in Cheyenne, Wyoming, for a little bit. Uh, and then coming to your first quote unquote your first charge, right? Your first mm-hmm. ministry. You didn't. You probably didn't come in with that attitude even from the beginning, which sometimes new pastors will do that. How is it that you didn't take that burden just on yourself? And that, if I had to guess, you probably started developing leaders around you fairly quickly. Yeah, I think two things. Number one, I think I was modeled it well at Cheyenne Alliance Church, where I, I did an internship there. I was forty-four and did a two-year internship, which was good. But I was modeled well there. I think of uh, the lead pastor there of having a uh, empowering the elder board. I think the other thing is uh, coming out of the Air Force, I mentioned it earlier, I flew helicopters. We always flew normally with a five-man crew. And uh, I maybe have 10 hours of solo, just me, and I hated it. In that, in that helicopter by myself thinking, where's my crew? Uh, we flew combat rescue and then support missions, but normally flew with a crew of five, and all five of us had very different roles and responsibilities, but in order to get the mission done, we all five need to know what the other person is doing, and we needed to work well together. Communication had to be sharp, concise, and clear. We had to know what the mission was, and it was measurable. We knew if we accomplished the mission or not, and in this case, our lives depended on one another. And so coming into church ministry, I view it very similar. We have a team. And if we don't know what each member of the team is doing, we'll get into trouble. If we don't have each other's back, if we aren't watching out for one another, if we aren't calling each other when there's a mistake made or something happening that doesn't fit the mission, then we need to, we need to call it out. And uh, we need the training. Everybody I flew with were exceptionally well-trained. Um, and I think in, in the church, how are we training our elders and leaders and to be the, the kind of men and women that God wants them to be in our local church? That team, man, I am just all over that. I, I, I can't ex- express that enough. Do we as lead pastors, are we looking for a team or are we looking at being the guy and being the center of the church? Um, I have churches that when the pastor leaves, we're in trouble because there's been no team. There's no sense of, okay, now what do we do? Um, Some churches, a pastor can leave and they just keep right on pressing into the kingdom because their values and vision has been set and it's owned by the team. I think that's so important for us in our churches today. So when you leave this office, what will you not miss? What are you just, you know, you're fine to fulfill it when it's your calling but as you're walking away, you're probably not going to miss that part. I love getting out and, and visiting churches and seeing... What I'm not going to miss is, is the administration. This role had a lot more administration than I had thought. I also, uh, sort of a double-edged sword here, on one hand, I loved doing the kind of things that you and I did today, hearing young men and women, their stories of their calling into ministry. I love hearing those testimonies. On the other hand, as a district superintendent, you have a lot of control over people's futures, over pastors' placements, uh, over the resumes that come across my desk looking for a pastoral role or a ministry role, and to say yes and no to those. I'm not going to miss that. So there's a there's a couple of those things. I, I'm going to miss I'm going to miss working with our 
licensing. I'm going to miss working with our executive committee. I'm going to miss traveling. But the desk work, eh, I could do without that. I'm, I'm anxious to get back into a local church. That's where it's at. I have missed engaging in local church ministry. I've got to see the church on a much broader scale is over five states and 64 churches and 200 workers. It's amazing the work that's being done out there for Jesus in the name of Jesus. But I miss being in the local church. So for you local church pastors, man, you're on the front lines. Do it well. Get a team together. Uh, know what you value in the vision and get after your local mission field right there in the city you're, that God's placed you in. Will you go back to the church that you were the pastor of? It's a good question. Lynn and I are praying about that right now. Uh, I, I'd be I'd be good to go back there. Brian Wiggins is there, and they, they've they told me you're welcome back there. A lot of the elders are still there that were uh, honestly our closest friends in Grand Junction. But we just planted a church, and my youngest son helps lead worship at the new church plant there. So we're trying to figure out, okay, Lord, what, what where, where do we go? Where, where would you use us uh, with in, in these last 20 years of ministry, where, where do you want to use us uh, in, in Grand Junction? Anxious to get back into the community. Not sure where we'll get plugged in yet. Still praying through that. And you have other kids in that community or just that one? Just Jake. We have seven kids. They're spread out all over. Uh, and so Jake's the only one that we've got there in Grand Junction. Well, I'm glad you've got, I didn't know that. I'm glad you've got a kid there. That will be fun. Yeah. Okay, any any final, you've given some really great uh, parting shots here at the end, but, but any final thought you'd want to give to a pastor just in the area of being healthy, uh, mm-hmm. surviving the ministry, and enjoying their ministry, enjoying their life as a pastor? Boy, a lot goes through my mind. I, I think that joy fact that you picked on, Jeff, is good. Um, honestly, I can step into a church and pretty quickly recognize, is there joy here or has that been robbed? Are we, are we not sensing the joy of the Lord in this place? And so I think for our pastors, maybe to do a little bit of a self-evaluation is, is ministry. Um, and we're going to have issues. We're going to have burdens, but overall is ministry a joy? Do I still find it a joy to serve Jesus where he's placed me? If not, I think maybe a little self-evaluation, maybe getting some outside uh, consultant to come in, looking for a counselor. Uh, I think a lot of times we as pastors, we refer people all the time to counseling, but rarely do we say, maybe I need to sit with somebody (laughs) and work through some of our issues. And so I think to begin to look, if, if, if ministry is no longer a joy, then we need to stop and say, okay, Lord, what's going on? And who can walk with me in this these days to, to restore that joy of, of that initial call? You know, remembering back on the call. Uh, for me, it was 25 years ago when God called me into vocational ministry and the joy that was. What's robbed you of that if you're not feeling that any longer? And, and how, do you, how do you restore that? Very good. Rob, thank you. You're welcome. Well, there you have it. Rob has not been just my uh, boss and my superintendent, but he's also been my friend over these last six years as we've served together in a number of areas within our district and a number of ministry opportunities. I'm excited for Rob and what he's going to do, and I'm excited for what he leaves behind as we have a, a very healthy district of churches, and he, has, he is handing off uh, a very healthy situation to the next guy. So I hope, Pastor, that you learned a few things today, maybe are reminded of a few things that you've been meaning to do 
but just haven't gotten to yet or you've forgotten and that you've got some action items now to step into this coming week with. This week is going to be a fun week on Coaching for Pastors. We're going to be dealing with some topics that are uh, elephant-in-the-room type of topics. And then next week, we finally, finally will have David Fitch from Northern Seminary on to talk to us about how, as pastors, we can understand, think about, and manage the very present reality of same-sex marriage, same-sex relationships, human sexuality and gender. How do we lead as pastors in a culture that has really gone in a lot of different directions? I tackle that with him uh, directly next week, almost an hour-long episode. He is the professor of theology, culture, and sexual ethics at Northern Seminary in the Chicago area. I learned an awful lot from the conversation and I hope you will too. And I will get to you on Monday on the next episode of the Coaching for Pastors podcast.